Thanks for tuning in to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Every life matters equally. Every voice matters equally. Every story matters equally. That's David Isay, founder of StoryCorps. We're going to revisit a conversation with David Isay from 2013. Uh, 2013 was uh, one of uh, three visits to Utah hosted by uh, Utah Public Radio by uh, StoryCorps. Uh, StoryCorps uh, came, has come to Logan, uh, to St. George, and to Vernal. Hope you enjoyed those visits. Perhaps you recorded your story in the booth in one of those visits. Uh, this uh, broadcast was ahead of the visit to uh, St. George. Um, we are going to hear how StoryCorps began. We'll hear some poignant stories recorded for the StoryCorps uh, series. We'll talk about uh, how uh, the power of listening and the importance of each life story. And we'll uh, promote the National Day of Listening. That's the day after Thanksgiving. StoryCorps encourages you to gather your family and friends to record family history and stories for preservation. Here now is my conversation with David Isay for first broadcast in April of 2013. Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We are pleased to be joined today for the hour by the founder of StoryCorps, David Isay. David Isay is recipient of numerous broadcasting honors, including five Peabody Awards and a MacArthur Genius Fellowship. He's author or editor of numerous books, grew out of his public radio documentary work, including two StoryCorps books, and now three. Listing is an Act of Love from 2007, Mom, A Celebration of Mothers from StoryCorps 2010, and, and now a new one, All There Is, Love Stories from StoryCorps. David Isay, welcome back to Access Utah. Tom, it's nice to talk to you again. So uh, for those who don't know what StoryCorps is, and hopefully that's a diminishing number of people, but uh, your... Your your mouth to God's ears. (laughs) Your uh, elevator pitch, what StoryCorps is. Sure. Um, Very simple idea. We opened about nine and a half years ago in Grand Central Terminal. We put a booth there where you can bring anyone who you want to honor by listening to their story. It could be your parent, your sister, uh, grandparent, friend. You come to StoryCorps, you're met by a trained facilitator who brings you inside this booth, which is designed as kind of a sacred space, lights are low, very cozy, door shuts, and you're in this soundproof space, like a, like a recording studio. Um, and uh, you sit across from, say, your grandmother for 40 minutes, the facilitators in one corner in front of a couple of CD burners, and people have a conversation for 40 minutes. And many people think of it as, if I had 40 minutes left to live, what would I say to this person who's, who's so important to me? And people often bring someone who's deeply important in their life, who they want to honor by listening to their story. At the end of the 40 minutes, you get a CD, um, and another one stays with StoryCorps and goes to the Library of Congress. So your great-great-great-great-great-grandkids can someday get to know your grandmother through her voice and story. So it's a, it's a very simple idea. Of course, there are excerpts that are played on Morning Edition on Fridays, and um, we have books, and we now have animations that you can find on our website and on YouTube. Um, but, you know, the core ideas of StoryCorps are, you know, very much in line with the core ideas of public broadcasting, the idea that, um, that uh, of, of the importance of listening and respecting other people's stories, the idea that, um, particularly in StoryCorps, that you can find wisdom and poetry and grace and just incredible beauty in the stories of people all around you, and you take the time to listen. So it's very much a project about listening and recognizing that everybody's story and everybody's life matters equally. Yeah, that, that's a powerful idea, isn't it? Every life matters equally. If I could sum up StoryCorps in a sentence, that, that would be it. Um, and that's what we've learned. You know, we've now, we started in Grand Central. We've now done about um, 45,000 interviews with about 90,000 people across the country. Um, and, 
you know, it's it's the widest possible swath of, of, of America. We hold half of our slots that partner with uh, nonprofits. We work with about 500 community service organizations a year to make sure that every possible type of person comes to StoryCorps, be it people involved in the juvenile justice system, homeless folks. Um, and, and the bottom line uh, is that uh, it's that core truth of that that's kind of core to every creed and constitution you know but too often gets lost in the muddle of 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 life that that every life really does matter equally even though if you watch the you know 24-hour news or listen to some radio stations other than public radio you'd think that um the lives of you know billionaires and celebrities and uh whoever are are significantly more important than others but that's just not true yeah, I was reading an article, uh, I think uh, sort of the launch of StoryCorps, this was a bit of 2003, New York Times, uh, you uh, talked about being StoryCorps, maybe be an antidote or a pushback to Big Brother, which was one of the big shows at that time. Uh, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and I, I still do think it's um, it's very, you know, I, I get Big Brother, which I think I remember was probably a reality TV show, and I do think that, um, you know, in many ways, StoryCorps is the opposite of reality TV, because you know, there's nobody, again, we've done 45,000 interviews, and there's not a single person who's come to StoryCorps to get rich or to get famous. Um, everybody comes to StoryCorps out of an act of generosity. Um, and the idea is that listening to a loved one uh, or a friend or just someone else and asking them, who are you and what have you learned in life and how do you want to be remembered is just one of the great ways that we can honor another human being. And as you know, you know, the, the, the magic of this thing is, is in part is that the microphone gives you the license to have conversations, to ask questions you'd never otherwise ask. Yeah, that's certainly true. That's one of the, one of the powerful things about a project like StoryCorps. Why don't we uh, listen to uh, an example? Um, you sent over to us a few few examples uh, this one, is, I'll just set this up. This is 83-year-old Paul Wilson talking to his daughter, Mary Smith, about how he met her mother. It was the 1940s. Paul was working on the top floor of a building in Wichita, Kansas. One day I was waiting in the lobby for the elevator. The door slid aside, and there she stood. The prettiest girl I had ever seen. She was the operator. There were three or four other people on the elevator, and I was the last one on floor number 10. And she opened the door, and I said, thank you, and she said, you're welcome. That was the total conversation, that first contact. Of course, in the next few days, I saw her, but I was so backward and bashful that I didn't say anything to her except 10. <laughs> she said, yes, I know. <laughs> thank goodness she broke the ice. She said, do you know where you can get some good chop suey? How about that for an opening? <laughs> I said, sure. The cafe across the street is a Chinese cafe. They serve chop suey. I sensed that she set that up. <laughs> I realized later she did. When I said I eat there every day, she said, oh. <laughs> I realized I had an opening. And we had chop suey, and we got acquainted. I found out her name was Wilma. She found out my name was Paul. I found out that she was divorced and had a two-year-old girl. She found out I was about to be drafted. Well, that wasn't good. Well, you know what? I think it was two days later she brought that little girl downtown. This is Barbara. This was Barbara. She was my older sister. That's right. Barbara was two years old. She had a little red snowsuit, white fur hat, white fur muff that she was proud of. And when her mother... 
introduced me to her. She held her arms out to me, and I was done for. Well, I did go away to war. Your mother waited for me three years. We got married right there in my mother's living room, and uh, we had a 63-year honeymoon. And as you often say to me, when we part company, you say, life is good. And I have to think, yeah, life is good, even though I've lost my sweetheart. Who was it that said the best thing a man can do for his children is to love their mother? I did my best. (laughs) You did. We were real lovers. And uh, every day is a memorial for her. Paul Wilson with his daughter, uh, Marty Smith, in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, Paul's wife, Wilma Louise Wilson, died in 2008. There's a a good example, David, I say, of uh, the power of voice. You, You really get to know Mr. Wilson there. Yeah, you know, I, I was actually in Wichita uh, a couple of days ago. Their story is in uh, a book of ours that um, came out in paperback recently, Love Stories, StoryCorps Love Stories. And actually there's the book ends with a Utah story, um, an, a, an amazing story of a couple who courted each other by leaving notes in, uh, in airports um, to one another under seats and so forth. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that part of the power of the StoryCorps stories, and I, I should say that... Um, Paul wasn't able to come to the uh, the event I did in Wichita. He's in the hospital. He's now must, he must be 95 or 96 now, um, and his daughter was with him, so I didn't get a chance to meet him, unfortunately, but we all wish him well. The power of StoryCorps, I think, is that you're hearing, you know, what I said before about no one's looking to get rich and no one's looking to get famous. It's the authenticity, and, you know, these two are having this, you know, very intimate conversation um, and telling each other about, their lives and saying how much they love each other. And, um, you know, that that's the power of radio and the human voice. You know, the soul is kind of contained in the human voice. And it's very easy to detect phoniness, you know, when you're just listening to voices. And there's nothing phony about, about these two people. And, you know, in a, a, a good story, powerfully told, honestly told, is like it's kind of like an adrenaline shot right to the heart. There's something very visceral about it. Yeah, I want to follow up with that, because... I guess we're hardwired to respond to story. We construct things in the form of stories. Story is very powerful. Yeah, yeah, and and I think um, it, it it absolutely is. Uh, and um, you know, uh, well, well, StoryCorps I think of as as very much about listening as much as it is about story. Um, you know, I think what you hear from StoryCorps is uh, I was actually last night in Chicago. Um, talking about uh, the great um, uh, uh, Studs Terkel, the oral historian, who talked about the et ceteras of the world, which is all of us, you know, and I think that the, you can find such, um, you know, that what the story Paul just told, I mean, it's like, it's like, it's poetic, it's, you know, novelistic or like a short story, and that, and that in all of us, you know, are these narratives that uh, are, you know, that, that can be so powerful. Uh, this this article to which I made reference in the New York Times um, uh, quotes Studs Terkel, and uh, he began his career with WPA. They had a big oral history uh, project, and he said uh, that, that's uh, he wanted to tell the story of the world through the voices of the salt of the earth. Is another, yeah. another way he phrased it. When Studs cut the ribbon on our booth, and Studs has since passed away, um, 
he was a great mentor and, and hero. Um, but he cut the ribbon on our booth. He was 92 years old at the time. He was generous enough to fly to New York to do this. And when he cut the ribbon, he said, we know who the, we, this was in Grand Central Station. He said, we know who the architect of Grand Central was, but who, you know, who laid these floors, who built these walls, um, you know, who, 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 uh, who polished the brass, you know. And he said, those are the stories that you must collect through StoryCorps. And, you know, he threw down the gauntlet, and nine and a half years later, we continue to work very, very, very hard to live up to that mandate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, getting to the purpose of oral history, I think what he was he was talking about. The the Do you think about the, I don't know if you've gone back and listened to those WPA interviews. They had oh, yeah. a big project in the 1930s. That must oh, be yeah. quite something. Oh, that was an influence on, start, you know, I used to be a radio documentary producer before starting StoryCorps. Um, for um, many, many years. And I used to spend time at the American Folklife Center at the Library of Congress listening to these WPA recordings. Now, most of them were, the work that Studs did was all, um, it, was trans- it was written transcriptions. But there was, some, um, there was some work that was done that was recorded. I, I can't remember. It was less than a, it was, I think, 90 or 100 hours of recorded uh, work that, that was done. And, you know, listening to those stories that were recorded, I don't know, at a pool hall in Washington, D.C., you know, on front porches in the South, and beautifully recorded with old acetate disc uh, players, so it was the highest quality you could get back then. And just hearing the voices of everyday people, it just, um, um, transport, you know, kind of had this effect of almost transporting me through time, and I became addicted to listening to those things. Um, and that was definitely one of the influences to starting StoryCorps, and now we're really proud that our the archive, the StoryCorps archive, is also at the American uh, Folklife Center at the Library of Congress, sitting next to those old um, WPA recordings. Yeah, that's that's a nice arc, isn't it? That's something to be proud of. Yeah, well, Definitely. you know, it's it's a privilege to be doing doing um, doing this work. I mean, every day is, um, you know, kind of. Uh, it's been for the last you know nine and a half years. It's been every day has been almost like a revelation, just seeing the kind of impact that the simple act of doing these interviews has on people's lives. I mean, from the first day that StoryCorps started, we began getting letters from people saying, you know, the 40 minutes I spent in the booth was among the most important 40 minutes in my life. You know, and that, you know, took me by surprise at the very beginning and still takes me by surprise today when we get those kind of notes, which is frequently. Um, so, yeah, no, it's um, it's really, uh, it's, a, it's a great thing. And I think StoryCorps is very much a project of, hope when you listen to these stories, you know, Paul Wilson and, you know, people hear him on Morning Edition every week, you know, you, you would, and, and this is really what we're trying to do with the broadcast piece of StoryCorps. There's two sides to it. One is the collection of interviews, like the ones we're doing at St. George, and the other is, um, is broadcast, and we hope that these broadcasts show us that we really share much more in common than divide us as a country, despite what you might think from, um, as I said before, watching TV or listening to some radio. We're talking to with David Isay today. He's a journalist and the founder of StoryCorps, and the project is uh, ten years on or so now. Uh, almost, almost coming up. I'll on. be back to celebrate the ten years. Hopefully. Good. By the way, you have I think it's two Airstream trailers crisscrossing the country at any given time. Sometimes we have two, sometimes we have one, sometimes mm-hmm. we have three. It all depends on, okay. on our funding situation at any given moment. Yeah, and <laughs> but just... the demand for you know I know I was in. Um, California uh, recently, and you know there were we have a certain number of slots, and someone I was giving a speech, and someone raised their hand and said I I I tried to make a reservation, you know a couple seconds after the reservations opened, and I was number three thousand on the waiting list. So we don't have nearly the um, capacity to to meet demand.
You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. My guest, as you can hear there, is StoryCorps founder David Isay. As we go along, we'll continue to hear some stories from the StoryCorps archives, especially some love stories, as on that occasion, the uh, the latest project, CD and book, was uh, love stories from uh, StoryCorps. Uh, that was the 2003, our conversation, and uh, they were coming up on their 10th anniversary then. Uh, now they've celebrated their 15th uh, anniversary. And Utah Public Radio has hosted StoryCorps three times. StoryCorps uh, Airstream trailer has come to Logan, to St. George, and to Vernal. And uh, that broadcast that we're listening to today from 2013 was ahead of the uh, visit to uh, to St. George. I'm sure UPR will uh, bring StoryCorps back within the next uh, few years back to uh, back to Utah. I want to especially uh, promote here, plug uh, something that uh, I'm enthusiastic about, hope you are as well, and that is the National Day of Listening. StoryCorps has set this up for the day after Thanksgiving. And they're encouraging uh, you to gather your family and friends and record family history and stories for preservation. This year, they're especially uh, touting something called the Great Thanksgiving Listen, which they're saying is a national movement that empowers young people and people of all ages to create an oral history of the contemporary United States by recording an interview with an elder using the StoryCorps app. You can find more information on that at storycorps.org. More with David Isay following this break. When farmers begin planting crops for the season, they must pay for necessary supplies such as seeds, fertilizers, equipment, and labor. Community Supported Agriculture, or a CSA, is a partnership between a farm and people in the community. CSA members buy shares the beginning of the growing season to help cover farmers' costs and then regularly receive fresh produce once harvesting begins. Researchers in USU's Department of Applied Economics examined behavioral changes among people who participate in CSAs. They discovered that more than 92% of participants reported that their overall nutrition improved during these programs, demonstrating that CSAs can improve people's diets while boosting local economies. Support for Ag Matters on Utah Public Radio is provided in part by our members and by the College of Agriculture and Applied Sciences at Utah State University, offering more than 70 degrees with courses available at USU campuses throughout the state and online. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in April of 2013. We're back with David Isay, who's founder of StoryCorps. The new book is All There Is, Love Stories from StoryCorps. There's a CD out as well. Uh, David, I say I, I was reading uh, an interesting interview with you at uh, Good.is. This is the fact that changed everything. I hadn't been familiar with this, but uh, this is... Uh, Neither story. was I. I don't remember you, you, this. So you, what happened. <laughs> you told your story to them in part, and you told an interesting story about how one of the factors that got StoryCorps going... The fact that uh, for Thanksgiving one year, I think it was, you recorded your grandmother and two of her friends, then you lost sisters. the tape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had my, it was my grandmother and a couple of her sisters. She had, my grandmother was a wacky New York uh, character, and her sisters were even wackier. I, she had, I had an Aunt Bertie who um, was, uh, insisted that she had invented uh, fruit salad, you know, just like really out there. Um, and I had recorded them when I was a kid. Just because there was a tape recorder around the house, I had no interest in interviewing a radio. I was just a dumb 13-year-old kid. Um, and then, you know, when that whole generation died, at some point I went looking for the tape and couldn't find it. And still, uh, 25 years later, 
um, I go, when I go to my mom's house, I look for that tape. Uh, and part of what I wanted to do with StoryCorps was to make sure that nobody made the mistake that I did and, lo- and lost the tape. So when you do an interview through StoryCorps, you know that it's safe for, uh, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, if not longer, at the library. And you mentioned before this, uh, you know, if you record something with StoryCorps or, or otherwise, uh, that's a treasure for great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. You can, you can listen to your progenitor and, and you get you get a bit of their soul. Absolutely. I mean, I do, you know, I think that the, because of the nature of the way the StoryCorps interview is structured and the fact that it's kind of a transfer of wisdom, as I said at the beginning of the interview, 40 minutes to say everything that you've wanted to say and talk about kind of the big life, um, the great themes of your life, that, you know, I, I don't think there's a better way to, in, in, in many cases, to sum up who someone was than in that very comp, uh, very compressed 40-minute intense period with a loved one when you're asked these big questions that you don't normally get to reflect on. And, of course, you know, the the power of the human voice. You know, I lost my dad recently, very, very suddenly, and I had interviewed him uh, about when StoryCorps opened, so, you know, a little bit afterwards, about eight years ago. And, uh, you know, the night he died, at 3 in the morning, I put in the um, StoryCorps CD, and that's, you know, I, no one could believe in Story Corbin deeply than I do. But, you know, at that moment, that's when the rubber hits the road, when the record of your loved one's voice, what you have left is a CD. And that's when, you know, I fully understood kind of the, the you know, what, 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 this, what this means, what it means to me. Hmm. Let's hear another one of these um, stories from Story Corps. I'll set this up. This is the beginning of a conversation between Sandy and Bobby, I think it's Cote Whitaker. Whitaker, yep. Whitaker. Um, they've been partners for almost 40 years. They went to StoryCorps booth in Burlington, Vermont, to talk about their relationship. And Bobby here begins the conversation. Do you remember what it was like when we were 19 and totally in love and couldn't tell anyone? I do. I remember the feeling of I have found the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with and discovering that I couldn't have anybody else celebrate it with me. When something happens that makes you feel so good and you have to hide it, it takes away a little bit of the joy of finding someone. Do you remember what it was like when we moved to Ohio? Ohio, yes, I remember Ohio. I remember second day that we were there, your mother came by and said she wanted to talk to me. She told me that it was a small town, that your father was a prominent doctor, and that she would give us three days to get out of town so that we wouldn't disgrace your father, his practice, your extended family. So, yeah, I remember Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they then sent me to a psychiatrist to see if they could fix me. That obviously didn't work since we're still together. (laughs) (laughs) We had been together for 33 years when we finally, for the first time, got to stand up in front of our friends and family and tell them that we loved each other and that we cared for each other and that we were going to take care of each other for the rest of our lives. And I remember your mom deciding that her daughter should have the right to marry. My mom had been diagnosed with a brain hemorrhage, and she actually wanted to walk us down the aisle before she died. And this is the same woman that gave us three days to get out of town. (laughs) Yes, same woman. So we thought about it for about three seconds and then said, okay, we'll have a civil union. We had it in her backyard with three of our ministers, a lot of friends from church. 
It was a beautiful ceremony. I remember the minister saying, you know, Bobby and Sandy did it backwards. You know, they did all of the committing stuff and then got married. I didn't believe that there was another level that we could reach. But just having the ceremony and stating publicly and having our friends and family there happy for us was sort of like being 19 again and celebrating our love. That's uh, Sandy and Bobby uh, Cote-Whitaker at uh, StoryCorps in Vermont. Four years after their Vermont Civil Union, they were officially married in the uh, state of Massachusetts. There's uh, another uh, story. And, uh, David, I say, uh, I think one of the principles of StoryCorps, you you look for diverse voices. Yeah, well, this is an American uh, project, so... It's, um, you know, we get, we get every kind of person there is imaginable across the political spectrum, um, every economic, you know, across the economic spectrum. It's, it's all of our voices, absolutely. And that's another, that was another, uh, all, all the stories that we're listening to are from the, um, from the book of uh, love stories, that new book of love stories you mentioned. All There Is, Love Stories from StoryCorps, is the new book, uh, edited by David Isley. There's also a, a CD available, All There Is, Love Stories from StoryCorps. Uh, by the way, the uh, website is storycorps.org, if you're uh, interested. This article in the New York Times is very interesting. It's uh, 2003, the beginnings of StoryCorps, and the, um, the article talks about uh, sort of a trial run. You're, you're trying to find, I guess, the... The style, the method, uh, what the best practices, I suppose, and and you're inter- interviewing a relative of yours, a uh, distant relative, it looks like Sandy Birnbaum, and my great uncle Sandy. No, not distant. Oh, okay, great uncle. Um, he, uh, yeah, he's um, now passed away. So this was he was interview number one, oh 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 one of StoryCorps, and uh, it was uh, you know that it was a test really because what what we did this was before we even had our first booth. We went into. Uh, we had a studio in Chinatown here in New York City that we rented and we built out of uh, styrofoam baffles, a fake booth, basically of the dimensions of a StoryCorps booth. And I went in with, uh, with my great uncle Sandy, who was, um, who was actually had been married to my great aunt Bertie of, uh, of uh, fruit salad fame. Um, and uh, he was an interesting test uh, for, uh, for, for StoryCorps because I, ha- I didn't have any doubt that people who are kind of, you know, characters wouldn't have a problem doing the interviews. But Sandy was a very quiet, uh, dignified, wonderful, gentle man. Um, and we went in and had this conversation. And, you know, it, the same thing happened in this booth that has happened, you know, for nine and a half years and tens of thousands of interviews. You know, he talked about things I'd never heard him talk about before. He talked about my Aunt Bertie who um, he, he talked about his first date with her. And, uh, you know, I knew her again as this kind of older, you know, nut. But, you know, he talked about uh, coming back from World War II and telling her to meet him on a stoop uh, of somebody's stoop on 14th Street here in Manhattan. And he said, I saw her coming down the street dressed in purple from head to toe. And I thought, this is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. What is she going to see in me, you know, a farm boy hick? And he said, I panicked, and I tried to escape, uh, turn the handle on the door of this, you know, at the top of the stoop I was standing on to run away. And he started crying, and he said, you know, that handle was, the, the door was locked. 
And I've often thought that if that door had been unlocked, it would have destroyed my life because they spent the next 50 years together. Mm. Um, and, you know, and he spent a lot of time crying about still losing um, his wife and, uh, and, and had a great experience. And after, you know, he, we did this interview, he took the CD, he still drove at the time, he was in his late 80s. Uh, and he would drive around listening to the CD over and over again. So it's that idea of people, someone, you know, people recognizing that, that your story is interesting, that your life matters, uh, that what you have to say is important um, and, and worth preserving. So that was kind of test number one for StoryCorps and was a, um, you know, and it, 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 it was an interview that worked out very well. Have you, have you learned things about how, how to draw people out, or is that not necessary? You, you sit down in that setting, and, and people naturally will, will talk in an authentic way about their lives. I think it's about, um, it's about careful listening, you know, and, and active listening is, is it's not, um, it's about really paying attention to what someone's saying. Um, you know, I, I used to make radio documentaries, as I said, for many years. And I, you know, and I saw that there was nothing that I was doing that was particularly different than anything anybody else could do as far as asking questions. I mean, you want to prepare a little bit, and you want to really care about what the answers are and pay attention. If you're present, um, then, you know, really, you know, miraculous things happen, and, and all of us are capable of, of doing that kind of listening. And the idea of StoryCorps was to kind of take documentary and flip it on, on its head, and instead of creating a, you know, a, a doing interviews to create a broadcast or a film that educates people and is heard by many people and enjoyed by people. The idea is that there is social good to be had by giving people the chance to talk to each other and interview each other, and that um, kind of turning documentary into an on-the-ground public service. And that's the core of what StoryCorps is, that you give the people the opportunity to connect and recognize, um, you know, that how much they matter by, by having this experience in a booth. Do you find that a lot, that it's maybe some people come in, maybe like your, your great-uncle Birnbaum, maybe need a bit of validation. If they find that if a person's interested enough to sit down with them and record it, and that's going to be archived in the National, you know, the Library of Congress, that somehow that, that validates their life is important. Yeah, and, you know, I think it's in direct proportion to um, how unheard people feel in society. You know, as I said earlier, we do a lot of outreach to people who might not have heard of us through public broadcasting or the newspapers. And, you know, people who feel most like their lives, you know, may not matter. Um, the, 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 the act of, of being listened to, having your story recorded for posterity, becoming part of American history at the Library of Congress, um, I think can be particularly profound. Um, you know, I think of that we're spending a lot of time with the Times article about the early days of StoryCorps, and I'm thinking about that original booth in Grand Central Terminal. And, you know, we had a homeless uh, woman come in in the first days after StoryCorps opened. Um, and she came in by herself. Most people come in pairs. If you come in by yourself, there's always two facilitators at the booth who are these people who travel around kind of collecting the wisdom of humanity. And if you come in by yourself, both facilitators go in the booth. One interviews you. The other does a recording. And this homeless woman came in by herself. And then um, afterwards, she offered the facilitators her food stamps to pay them for the interview, which, of course, they didn't take. But um, she uh, left very quickly uh, after both knowing that it was going to the Library of Congress and to take the CD and put it in her safety deposit box at a bank, which was the only place that, you know, for her where she could put something safely because she felt like this was, you know, about the most important thing she'd done in her life.
We're talking with uh, David Isley, founder of StoryCorps today. Uh, the new book and CD is All There Is, Love Stories from StoryCorps. Uh, let's hear another one of these uh, stories. These are great stories, and I think all are love stories here that, that you've sent us. I'll set this one up. Here's a love story that begins in the Catskills. It's the summer of 1946. Honey Feller and her identical twin sister, Bunny, were waitresses at a hotel. Another set of identical twins, Elliot and Danny uh, Riken, worked as musicians in a band there. At StoryCorps, Honey and Elliot remembered what happened when twins met twins. When we met, you and your sister couldn't tell us apart, and we couldn't tell you two apart. But by the end of the summer, there was no chance of separating us. And we had a double wedding. You and I were married the same day as Bunny and Danny were married. And it was two brides, two grooms, one set of parents for each. The gowns were identical gowns. Uh, the flowers were identical. We both went on a honeymoon to Miami Beach by different trains. Yeah, so, so people didn't want to be so obvious that people be staring at us. You know, yeah, the twins that married the twins. What did you think about marrying me many years ago? You bowled me over with your way of kissing and the way you hold me when we dance. You're not a fantastic dancer, but you hold me fantastically, and I feel it. It's genuine. You're just not phony. I don't think you have a phony bone in your body. And I never thought anybody lasts this many years. Like just yesterday, it was our 50th anniversary. Yeah, now it's 11 years after that. Yeah. I never feel, what will he do if I die first? You know how to open tuna fish. You know how to smear it with mayonnaise. You will not fall apart. You'll feel sad when I'm gone, but you'll manage, and that makes me feel very good. Thank you for being you, Elliot. You made my life complete. And I say the same. You made my life complete, and we hope we go on for another 50 years. I'll take five good ones, five good ones, and I'll say thank you, God. Honey and Elliot Riken at StoryCorps in New York City. The Rikens live in Brooklyn in the same house they bought with their twins over 50 years ago. Honey's sister, Bunny, still lives upstairs. What a wonderful story. They, they sound yeah, that, like... would, that would fall into the you know the characters. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you... But you know, but I think what what um what Honey says to Elliot is could almost be like a theme, uh, like a motto for StoryCorps. I mean, at some point in that that interview, she says, I can't remember the exact words, but there's not a, you're not you're not a phony. There's not a phony bone in your body, um, and I think that that's part of the 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 power of um, of the stories we hear on StoryCorps. And I know you were saying before. Um, about the broadcasts on uh, Utah Public Radio and possibly on NPR, and that's absolutely true. Um, but I also want to note that we see every interview that happens in the StoryCorps booth as equally valuable and equally important and potentially kind of a sacred moment in people's lives. And there are some stories like Honey and Elliot's that have this you know, universal quality that make them appropriate to share with a larger audience. But that doesn't mean that that story is any better than any other story or any other interview. Certainly. Uh, oh, people might be wondering, uh, and there are some tips on the StoryCorps website, by the yep. way, uh, uh, the training you give to your facilitators or what you would uh, suggest to anyone when they sit down and uh, want to record uh, something with someone they love. 
So what are some tips? What are some uh, some well, things the, to so drop? The, the, the facilitators are these people who are hired because they're great listeners and mm. um, are there to kind of bear witness to the interview, serve a one or two year tour of duty with StoryCorps. We get you know a thousand applications for each position. It's really kind of an amazing, very very difficult job, and they're there to help. And we'll certainly give tips to people when they come to the booth. But um, you know what the facilitators will always say to people is ask that question you've always wanted to ask at the very beginning, because the um, interview goes very very quickly. The forty minutes goes by very fast. You know I, we have on on our website something called a question generator, which has like the ten most frequently asked questions and then hundreds of others. So you want to go there, you want to prepare. Um, uh, if you have the questions that if if this if those are the right questions, use them. If not, think about the questions you've always want to ask. Um, and as I said, listen carefully. You know, the, the StoryCorps um, interview w- is not really about a, you know, a CV. You know, you, it's not necessarily about going through year by year and what you've accomplished. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's very much, as I said earlier, kind of a wisdom project. So the questions that work best are um, questions about what you've learned and uh, what you want to pass on and you know, if you're if you if your great 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 grandkids hear this, you know, a hundred years from now, you know, what would you want them to know about you? What you, would you want them to know about what you've learned about life? So that kind of that kind of, that that often works very very well. Um, but again, we're a public service, so it's whatever whatever people want to get out of this, whatever people want to talk about. You do want to prepare and you want to listen very very carefully. You're listening to Access U. Tom Tom Williams. We're uh, hearing. Uh, a repeat broadcast of my conversation with David Ice, they first broadcast in uh, April of 2013. And we're heading toward the National Day of Listening. StoryCorps encourages you on the day after Thanksgiving to gather your family and friends, record family history and stories for preservation. If you go to storycorps.org, they're promoting uh, this year something called the Great Thanksgiving Listen, a national movement, they say, that empowers young people and people of all ages to create an oral history of the contemporary United States by recording an interview with an elder using the StoryCorps app. You can go to storycorps.org. Uh, what a great opportunity for you when you're gathered together for Thanksgiving to, uh, to record family and uh, friends, record that forever. Uh, another uh, thing we want to promote is tomorrow's program. We're uh, doing another program spotlighting individuals and nonprofits in the community doing good. And so we'd want you to email in, uh, tweet, and call uh, heading up to tomorrow and tomorrow's program, uh, upraxcess at gmail.com to spotlight your favorite individual and nonprofit doing good in your community. More following this break. He looked around the room as if he had just landed from Mars and it was the first time he ever saw anything. Something was about to happen. On the next Radio Lab, a woman teaches a 27-year-old man his very first words. He slaps his hands on the table. Oh, everything has a name. That's on the next Radio Lab. Tomorrow morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. She's no stranger to our show. She often plays violin or viola in concert at Lincoln Center and around the world. But coming up, she's taking on a different role on the air. Yura Lee makes her debut as a PT guest host on the next Performance Today from APM. That's tomorrow night at 9 here on UPR. Today's Access Utah episode was first broadcast in April of 2013.
We're back with David Isay, founder of StoryCorps. And uh, the latest uh, book and CD is All There Is, Love Stories from StoryCorps. More information about StoryCorps at their website, which is storycorps.org. David Isay, I want to follow up with uh, something we said before the break. Uh, You talked about how a good good place to start with someone, because you only have 40 minutes, is to uh, ask that question you've always wanted to ask. And I wonder, are are there some themes, uh, are there some common questions that people have always wanted to ask the other person in the booth there? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it depends on, um, on, uh, you know, your relationship and what it is you want to talk about. But, you know, the most common questions, the questions that work best are, you know, kind of how do you want to be remembered questions. What are the most, like I I was talking about this a moment ago, what are the most important lessons you've learned in life? Um, And an important moment in the StoryCorps booth, again, because that there's this kind of magical sense of um, having this conversation and talking about, you know, a freedom to to say things you don't normally get to say um, or might be uncomfortable saying that often at the end of the interview, the person who's doing the interview will kind of turn the tables on the interviewee and tell them how much they love them and how much, you know, they mean to they mean to you, uh, which is often a very kind of important and beautiful, uh, uh, stunning sort of moment in a StoryCorps interview because the... Um, you know, that opportunity, we, we think that our loved ones and hope that our loved ones know how much we mean to them. But actually, you know, talking about it in that way is something that is difficult for me, difficult for everybody, a lot of people, I think. Um, so that's that's certainly um, kind of an, an, uh, a moving uh, moment in, in the story core interview. But again, it's you really want to think about what it is that, that you want to um, that you want to ask and you want to talk about. And I'm guessing you find that it, it's it's not all happy talk either, right? There are probably re- regrets ex- ex- expressed and uh, dreams that people wish they had achieved. Yeah, life is hard. <laughs> yeah, so Absolutely. it's it's the full um, it's the full range. You're just trying to get to the authentic person. Yeah, I think so. And I, I mean, I think that we. I mean, I, I if you know, StoryCorps has a reputation um, that's especially built up in my experience when I'm out on the road over the last bunch of months of making you know, of, of, of making people cry. So I think that there's a, there's a sense that many story core stories are sad stories. And the truth is that, um, that, um, that they're, that most of them aren't particularly sad. Um, although there are moments of struggle in, in all the stories because, you know, this is about life. And I think what's moving about these stories to people is that, you know, as we said earlier, that you're hearing something authentic. Many of these stories are about everyday people. Um, you know, Studs talks about just the, um, you know, the, the uh, uh, ordinary people, everyday people like us. And these are people living life to its fullest. And when you hear these authentic stories of people living these very, very full um, uh, lives of decency and kindness and honor, uh, that you don't normally get to hear about. You're kind of walking on holy ground, and I think that's part of the emotionality of these things. Let's hear another one of these stories. These are these are great. Uh, this is a romance that started with a typo. Four years ago, Rachel Salazar was living in Bangkok, Thailand. Ruben Salazar lived in Waco, Texas. Their email addresses were nearly identical. I get to work. First thing I do is turn on my email, and I discovered this one. I, I didn't know who it was from. My coworker sent you that email by mistake. And I was like, here's another R.P. Salazar. Imagine that. And so I forwarded it. I wrote a little message. Hi, Rachel. It seems as if this message came to me instead of you. I'm in Waco, Texas, USA. Have a great day. 
P.S. How's the weather there in Bangkok? I replied to you, weather in Bangkok is lovely. Gracias, Rachel. So began a chain of emails. The first couple of emails, you started describing yourself, and that kind of encouraged me to be open about myself too. I was excited that this person is halfway around the world. It's kind of like sending a letter in a bottle. I happened to hover my mouse over your name on one of those emails, and a picture of you popped up. I was like, "Wow, she's really beautiful. How can I make this picture bigger?" <laughs> I would stay up late at night, which was your morning, and we would chat for like four or five hours. You had started to play an important role in my life even before I consciously realized it. I knew that I was falling in love, but there's still that tiny little bit of doubt that this might not work because we're eight thousand miles away from each other. But at some point, I finalized my plans to visit the U.S. And you didn't tell anyone because everyone would tell me you're foolish to go halfway across the world to meet some strange guy you have not met. That would be crazy. And on my end, every relative, every friend, coworker, everyone knew. <laughs> We were together for eight days. We were dancing one night, and you mentioned something to the fact that no I one... said that you were the sweetest guy I've ever met. I knew right at that moment. I need to say something or do something so that I don't lose her, and so I got on my knee and asked you to marry me. Deep in my heart, I knew it was coming, and it was the right thing, and it was the best thing. People didn't believe me when I told them I proposed to Rachel. Some of them had second thoughts for me, followed by five minutes of laughter. <laughs> <laughs> They now all tell us you're perfect for each other. <laughs> you found the right match. Rachel Salazar with her husband Ruben at StoryCorps in Waco, Texas. Another wonderful uh, story. Uh, David, I say, I wonder. You know, you put all of these forty-five thousand interviews together uh, in a mosaic. Uh, I'm guessing there are some things you've learned ab about us in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I spend most of my time fundraising for StoryCorps. I used to be, as I've said a couple times, a radio producer, and that that. The, the 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 production piece of this is with uh, the brilliant, talented producers here, and the interviewing piece is with the facilitators. So a lot of what I've learned, I mean, I've learned a lot of personal lessons, certainly, because um, I spend a good deal of time in the stories, you know, writing the books and working with the, you know, on, on the production uh, at least a, a few minutes a week. And because it's a, a project about wisdom, I mean, there are incredible lessons to be learned from all these stories and about from about how to live life. But I think, you know, the facilitators certainly um, bring back lessons from their time on the road with people. And, you know, the, the, the ones that I hear most frequently from the facilitators are um, one that um, they tell me that what they've learned is that if you think that you can judge the interior life of someone just based on the way they look, then you're always, you're always going to be absolutely wrong. Um, and the other thing they tell me is that people are, that in their experience from doing these interviews, that people are basically good. So again, it's uh, the 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 message of StoryCorps is is hopeful. You know, I think one of the messages of StoryCorps is the you know that I talked about my dad a little bit earlier. You know, many of the interviews about, are about our mortality and just how um, how how fleeting life is, um, and that you know you you know we're always one breath away from not being alive anymore. And that it's um, when possible. I mean, it's a little bit corny, but some of the you know kind of corny stuff that you 
find in, in you know, self-help books or whatever, there's truth to it. And, you know, that the importance of, of, you know, being present with the people who matter to you and telling them how much they mean to you. And, and um, hopefully, you know, listening to these stories, participating in StoryCorps, remembering, you know, how, how, how lucky we are to be alive. And, and, uh, and uh, no matter how, you know, how crazy and difficult things get and how fast, life is moving with the internet and everything else, just, um, you know, trying every day to, to, to remember uh, the, to, to be, to, to, to focus on the people who matter most to us, because that's really what life, life is all about. The facilitators who go out, that must be a very interesting experience. They go out, what, for a year or two? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you travel around the country with the, with the Airstream trailer, and you meet a lot of different people. That's got to be a very interesting experience. Yeah, it, it's, um, you know, I think it's hard because, you know, as you were alluding to before, life, you know, there, there are a lot of very difficult life stories. I mean, we have a big initiative that's been running for years where every sept- family who lost a loved one on September 11th comes to StoryCorps to leave a record of their lives. We have an initiative now for families who have a loved one in hospice or palliative care. And, um, you know, I think it's it's difficult. It's very difficult work. Um uh, but it's um, extremely rewarding and um, and is a pretty amazing experience. I think a lot of the folks who are, it's a very, very diverse group of facilitators. A lot of them are kind of on the young side um, because they are able to take off and leave and travel around for a year or two. Um, but, um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a transformative uh, experience for many of them. Finally, we're not just all. Uh, not not all. You have some. No, that, if not all. <laughs> oh, if not, not all. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it flashed to my mind uh, yeah. a picture of disgruntled no. facilitators, but they yeah, no, no, they, no. they generally have a good be, experience. Okay. Yes. yes. No. There's no no rioting facilitators. Yeah, okay. Uh, we're we're just about out of time. I, I want to end with um, the the title of of the first book, "Listening is an Act of Love," and I, I know you talk about this, and, and of course you promote a National Day of Listening, which I think is yeah. the day after Thanksgiving. That's right. Um, but I've, I've read you before, um, ascribe a, a pretty powerful, maybe a, some national healing to just the art of listening, just the act of listening, that maybe in this polarized world, we can come together a little bit if we listen to each other better. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, one of the things that you learn from StoryCorps, it's not that, you know, I think it's pretty obvious, but, you know, it, it we, we do live in a very polar, polarized polarized culture. But if you really talk about, if you sat down and, and, and talked with someone who you may disagree with on one or two issues, 99.9% of the things you'll agree on, you know. And, um, and uh, I do think that, 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 um, that this act of, of uh, kind of listening and, and um, trying to find common ground, you know, you think about how, um, you know, you, we, we talk a lot about Congress now and there, whatever it is, 11% approval rating um, and their inability to work together. And, you know, I think everybody knows this, but, you know, people say that in the, you know, in the olden days, there was, uh, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, the, they used to have dinner together <laughs> and get to know each other as human beings, and that doesn't happen anymore. And that's, you know, a big part of the cause of the, uh, the gridlock, that we don't get to know, you know, we're suspicious uh, separated. We don't get to know other people as human beings. And I think if we took a little bit of time to find uh, find our commonalities, it would be easier for uh, people across 
uh, you know, across the political spectrum and, and across all kinds of divides to get to know one another. I mean, that's partly the power of radio also. Every week on StoryCorps, I think you hear the voice of someone who almost by definition is going to be very different than you. And hopefully, just for a moment, you by when you're listening to their voice, you recognize a little bit of yourself in that person and walk in their footsteps. And that, you know, the power of that recognition of our shared humanity, um, uh, particularly as uh, you know, in, in, through, through the human voice, I think can be a very, can be a very powerful uh, force. We've been talking with David Isay, who, of course, is founder of StoryCorps. Started in 2003, so I guess uh, sometime this year you'll be having your anniversary? Yes, in October, 10 yeah. years. Oh, look, look forward to that. And, the, uh, of course, the, the Airstream trailers uh, crisscross the country, and uh, the latest uh, book and CD from StoryCorps is All There Is, Love Stories from StoryCorps, information uh, about StoryCorps at storycorps.org. David, I say it's been a pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you. My conversation with David Isay from April of 2013, StoryCorps now up to 15 years, and uh, congratulations uh, to them. Um, we want to promote here at the end the National Day of Listening. StoryCorps encourages everyone to gather uh, their family, friends, and uh, record uh, family history and stories for preservation on the day after Thanksgiving. You can find out more about that at storycorps.org. And tomorrow... We'll be throwing a spotlight on uh, nonprofits and individuals around uh, the state who do good in their communities. And this is an opportunity for you to uh, take a couple of minutes, call in, email us, tweet at us, and uh, spotlight your favorite nonprofit or individual doing good in your community. Upraccess at gmail.com is where you can respond right now. Thanks for listening. A service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University, this is Utah Public Radio. Heard statewide on KUSR, Logan, KUSK, Vernal, KUSL, Richfield, KUST, Moab, KCEU, Price, and KUSU-FM, Logan.